Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Did I hear that right? Everybody had a good day? For Monday, well, that's the beginning of the week. Let's do what we can do, right? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad to be here, and I hope you are too. We've got a great show tonight. Good, good guest. Haven't talked to Jared in a while. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California. And that means if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you no matter where you're at in the state. Also, we have branches in other states as well. Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and even Hawaii. We can get out to help guys out. But, uh, hello Jerry, hello G. Torres. I got some friends in the chat room. Um, but, uh, yeah, we can help you out. And uh, we don't charge to do it. So, uh, give us a call. Uh, sometimes you can find my phone number online, and uh, you can also find us on Facebook, California Haunts. Check us out. Check check out my name. Uh, YouTube, California Haunts. California Haunts radio page. It's going to be a second. It's been a long day. And uh, if you're watching, and, and, and I'm over on Instagram as Ghosty Gal, and we're trying to build up our following over there. You know, my head is crooked. My head is always crooked. Look at that. It's always crooked. See, it's crooked again. See, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just crooked. But uh, yeah, if you're watching from Facebook tonight, please be sure to hit that follow button as we're trying to build up our following. If you're watching from YouTube, uh, down the bottom right hand corner is a ghost with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a magnifying glass in his hand. And that's our mascot. And that's the way you subscribe to our great YouTube videos. We've got nearly 450 videos sitting over there. And uh, they're different topics. So it's not just about ghosties. Or anything like that, as, and as will be example by tonight's show, I like to do different things and mix it up a bit. So uh, there's a lot to choose from, and I'm sure once you get into looking, you know, ch checking things out over there, that you're going to find something that you like. All right. Anyway, my guest tonight's been on before. He hasn't been on in a while. Last time he was on, he had gone to Arizona and was checking and, and was looking for those mystical caves that have the giants. So we want to see what he's been up to because he's a very interesting guy. All right. So let me call him in and uh, here we go. Howdy. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I've been great. Oh, how, how are things been? It sounds like 45 strong. Yeah. Paranormal. We're rolling right along. Yeah. Uh, it has been too long, hasn't it? Yeah. It's been a long, long time. So what have you been up to? We'll go in reverse because if we start at the Kincaid Cave, okay. um, which I'm still not even done producing that documentary. I just was, uh, last week was with Jim Goodall, the SR-71 Blackbird expert and A-12 and uh, general, you know, so Jim and I became friends over the last few months. Um, so I was with him at, uh, in Arizona uh, filming and that was just last week, Tuesday, Monday to basically I was gone most of the week doing that. Then prior to that, I did my lecture in Salem, New Hampshire for a second time. Uh, and by second time, I don't mean the same lecture. I mean, I, I have found a great relationship with the American Legion post 63 in Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, this time it was on ancient megalithic and uh, technologies and uh, the connections to our genes and what that might look like physically. And so we did that lecture and then we go to Dennis Stone's um, family's um, America's Stonehenge, which is about eight minutes from there. Mm -hmm. And we went to America's Stonehenge and the group, there were people who came from nine hours away, seven hours away, uh, three hours away, a couple hours away, hour and a half away. Um, it was a really fun group. There were people online, so it was online and in person. I was very busy because this that was uh, the weekend of uh, before that and then uh, before the filming last week. And then um, 
I've been working on re-releasing my book with a new cover in full color. It'll be out for Christmas for sure. Uh, it's I'm 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 wrapping up about a year's worth of this December will make almost a year's worth of rewriting and editing and additional work. So it'll be a color book, all color. Um, there'll be a digital copy. Uh, the website's been under revision. And that's just some of what I've been doing since the GE Kincaid Cave. And that was last July. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So what did you think of America's Stonehenge? You know, I've been there multiple times now. And it's been an act. A lot of people don't know this, that it's been an active archaeological site for 70 years. And experts in the field of uh, geology, uh, paleoanthropology, archaeology, uh, in fact, the entire New England uh, Association of Archaeologists was started by Dennis Stone's grandfather. Uh, mm -hmm. So Nira is uh, close to... Uh, you know, not that it's all about America's Stonehenge. It's not. It's a 110-acre site. And <clears throat> so while I was out there, June and July this year, one of the things I skipped telling you was um, we've been working on a second, more extensive documentary about America's Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. And not specifically the Stonehenge part in the sense that there are over 800 sites that range from Canada to through South America, through like uh, the Galt archeological site is north of Austin. Mm -hmm. And I was there filming because there is a stone floor that was being used. At first, the estimates were 15, 18,000. The estimates now are the minimum date is about 22,000 years ago. So that's in Austin, that's north of Austin, about 45 minutes. It's an incredible site. It's called the Galt Archaeological Site. It has one of 19 Mastodon kill sites in North America. And more people know about the Galt Archaeological Site out of our country than in our country. So a group of humans hunted and killed a relatively reasonably sized female Mastodon. The head, the tools, everything were found uh, in, 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 in situ and... They have an uncomfortable, they have, I think uh, uh, Dr. Clark, it was, he said they have like three to six million objects that they found. However, when you walk the site, it was such a place of human industry that you can literally walk and look down and find arrowheads and chipped flints. I mean, Neolithic, Eolithic type tools. Mm -hmm. uh, but this site combined with America's Stonehenge, it represents this twist of what are likely i think survivor cultures from you know that date back to the younger dryas and earlier because the america's stonehenge who you asked you asked about what is it like right. or what do i think well there are two uh of all the stone walls that are up on the site there's uh two places that fire pits were that were tested and those fire pits uh date back uh, over seven thousand years carbon dating six to seven thousand at a minimum that's just two fire pits so like was the site abandoned before that? And of course it was occupied during colonial times, but uh, there's a lot to say about America's Stonehenge specifically, and it, it definitely predates colonial occupation. And we were filming, this was in June, July, we were filming. So there's been a lot of like, I, I'm probably moving a little fast. There's, no, okay. yeah, there's an MK ultra slash uh, uh, kind of a, a documentary about secret programs that, uh, Michael from Dark Hour and I are working on, and that was what I was filming for with Jim recently. Uh, we are doing a follow-up documentary about America's Stonehenge and this connection to these Neolithic, what I think are just survivor cultures. I was filming for that in June, July. Uh, of course, there was the break for the American Stonehenge uh, lecture, live lecture that I will have posted on Amer Anon Aliens uh, this week. And then, you know, the book coming back out, but we were also filming for... Uh, this America's this this connective piece and my follow-up documentary. I think we've talked since I put out TerraCore, right? My first documentary I put out on my web on my uh, site. Yeah. So there's like four things in the works outside of the book being re-released, but those are uh I think the site itself though, have you been there? I have not. I want to so, go. I was there in at the end of mid what well, was about end of June for the it was uh mid-end of June for the solstice. Mm -hmm. 
or Equinox. It was an Equinox. Sorry, my 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 bad. And uh, I was there in the morning at four forty-five, and they open it up, and there's a number of uh, different uh, groups that you know mark it as an important point on a calendar, and they were definitely there doing some ceremonies the day before. So we were doing work in the area for about four days, and going to the Upton Chamber and. Uh, there's all these carns and places all over Connecticut. It's it's quite fascinating. The the ruins that are not colonial related in the area are quite quite fascinating, and it's definitely a site worth visiting. Uh, it's open every day. They even do snowshoe tours in the winter. Nice. Yeah. So, I I, I think it's worth going to. But the uh, I think the plan next year is to you know do it again and mm-hmm. to uh, uh, reserve it and hopefully make it a bigger thing so this will be our third year so next year so hopefully it could be something that we get more people gravitating towards because you know what i'm doing at the american legion and you know what we're discussing uh for getting together that gathering portion is mm-hmm. completely different than just going to america's stonehenge which is a good juxtaposition to like all oh, ancient high technology and and what is you know what's the mysteries and what are some of the mysteries we can walk around? And it just turns out to be a good spot for that. You know what strikes me is America Stonehenge. And, you know, when you think about ancient history here in the United States, you think about, well, you know, they're digging up dinosaur bones, you know, in Montana or, or wherever. But you don't think of that, of history like that, going back to 22,000 years like that. No, and that's, and that's um, you know, and I know it's been a while. We've talked a little bit about, uh, Michael Cremo's uh, championing uh, Virginia Steam McIntyre's finds in Way at Laco, mm-hmm. which have clearly now been dated. You know, initially in the 60s, they said, well, it's 275 to 330,000 uh, or more years old. And now the minimum date is that 330, 400, and it's over half a million years old. And those are actual human activities, which line up with the Hindu Vedas, with millions of years of human history, which line up with the human footprints that have been found that show maybe, you know, tens of millions of years. But when you look at the Galt archaeological site and the Stonehenges and the, these primitive sites and, and really even Stonehenge itself, you know, you have very complex stone structures mixed in with what appears to be primitive mimicking and continuous mining from later cultures so it's really blurred lines people look at it and go well this was all done by primitives or uh then it was taken over by druids and you know it was done by druids or it was they they just think it starts there and mm-hmm. the reality is there's this clear continuous abandonment occupation repair abandonment occupation it, it's not a continuous human society that's the, I think the D marks are where was the high culture times, you know, who were building the giant megalithic constructions, who was more conscious, who was using, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100% of the human brain. And those societies seem to have, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of like just a start over. I think remnants of those ancient civilizations as, you know, no surprise to everyone. For those that don't know me, you know, my first book was about, which again, is being re-released. Don't, don't go look for the old one because there are people out there trying to sell it for $150, $200. Don't do that. Um, but the uh, the whole concept is that there are likely advanced humans that maybe they were just social media users. You know, they understood technology and what it did, but they didn't, in a prior society, uh, would have been responsible for creating the technology. So when those people died or under some catastrophic event, it's likely that these people had to take time to rebuild the technologies they were aware of. And I think they did it fast enough. So in my book, my, my big uh, uh, argument is that what we identify as aliens uh, or paranormal uh, frequently are uh, different labels based on our life experience and our, our, our family of origin. And what we're missing is uh, what is really a global unifying uh, Ex, you know, an idea of where that where we were in the past, and I think what we once were was a much more advanced human society that fell apart, and it got rebuilt by more users than it were was creators, and that's why a lot of us are still left in the dust. And there's some people flying around going, "Oh, we're an alien," or "You're assuming we are," and we're not going to tell you otherwise because that that we don't have this collective human consciousness connected consciously anymore. It's a it's an unconscious thing. We don't have a 
you know, we have an experience based on our our primitive minds understanding of religion, and we think, oh, it's a it's this, that, or the other. It's not that there's not a spiritual world. It just seems like the giant societies that were using frequencies and energies were using synesthesia as they were using mind and matter, which now in a broken giant biotech sphere is looking magical or looking paranormal or, you know, it, it appears, it, it generates, you know, we, we see what it is and we go, well, that's a ghost or that's right. this. So it's, but, but some of us have hunches and have downloads, you know, the, for some woke terms or not, I guess the idea that, you know, we, we can identify or think something out. I don't know a lot of layers to this and it's, it's really fascinating. It's been really fun. And I, of course, have not slowed down. Obviously I'll, I'll take a breath now. Well, <laughs> my, my thought was when you talked about, you know, where they would be there, then they would leave it and then you'd find it somewhere else. We're, I mean, we, we were hunter gatherers as, as a people, even way back then. So could it be that they, I mean, even though they built these, these, these wonderful things, that once they ran out of food, or the food in the area moved, that they had to move on? I think um, throughout the uh, periods of history, there have always been groups that were not original creator groups, weren't, uh, you know, they were just dynastic peoples, Olmecs, Toltecs, Mayans, as, you know, uh, Egyptians, Harapin, you know, megalithic Japan, there's plenty of examples of, uh, you know, Atsi, the uh, the mountain ice man. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of examples of primitive humans living alongside. Right now, there's approximately 150 tribes living. You know, if we all disappear tomorrow, this technology and the stuff behind me and behind you, that would all go away. And there are people still living in loincloths and doing, you know, very primitive, tens of thousands of year old uh, practices. So the problem is, and this is what got me excited when I wrote my first book is that all over the earth, there is a engineered soil called Terra Preta. And it, it, and of course it's Portuguese. It was first identified essentially in, well, it, it was identified in Europe also. And ironically, the breadbasket of Ukraine, there was a illegal export of, of these biochars that are, they're not natural and they're all over the earth. And that's just what's above water. And in Brazil, there's an area twice the size of Spain that has soil that can be over 12 feet thick that is made by man. It self-replicates. It has piezoelectric properties. It filters heavy metals and carbon dioxide. And it is the best, most nutritious growing soil found on earth. And it is man-made and we don't know how to recreate it. And it's in areas where for many, if we look at... Uh, Everyone was banging rocks. This is Western Western philosophy. One, right. ignore the East. You know, India's silly. And then, well, nothing came before the Fertile Crescent. Everybody came out of Africa. And, uh, you know, Jesus and Bible and, you know, Christian belief system, Roman, Greek, Roman, Western, Western democracy. It's, you know, West, West, West. Nothing East. You know, that's all. Somehow they magically happened, but... They didn't happen before Africa and they didn't, and, and, uh, you know, the hairpin get no credit for being a society much larger than the Egyptians, but those are, these are all dynastic peoples where we say, well, and we know this isn't true, but they say, oh, the first writing is Sumerian. So everything we're talking about, about, Hey, there's all these hunter gatherers. And so the D mark for anyone who's like kind of into history, it's like, well, there were no actual societies before Sumerians. Well, yes, yes, there were. And the thing is, if you look east and you also look at the Hindu Vedas and you look at their history and you look at now this engineered soil and you look at the locations around the planet, well, it doesn't add up because Terra Preta in Brazil is the identical Terra Preta in Africa, in North Africa and in South Africa. The countries, Liberia, that upper area of Africa down to the middle plains of South Africa, someone went on these continents thousands of years or at least when we thought only Sumerians did things and prior and they were engineering the best growing and and life filtering soil on earth so we have a huge elephant in the room of the timeline of neolithic and eolithic and and, and nomadic peoples if we were to say well you know maybe maybe somebody figured out a wheel but you know we weren't really advanced back then or there there was no or people were smart but they were primitive and that, that's not or 
they were they were smart and they weren't primitive because they were smart and even though they wore what white robes everywhere like socrates it just blows my mm, no that's not what happened we have one of the big elephants in the room is way at laco with a half a million years of human occupation we have genetic testing that says that's another whole animal animal in the room with uh Denisovan, Neanderthal, humans, a mystery two to three percent human genome that no one likes to discuss because they say it's there and then they'll go, oh, that's a mystery. No, there's literally a two to three percent indication of a actual full on human race that we have no other record of, but it's in our genome. And they all seem to have mixed the academic answer is approximately 50,000 years ago. And so, okay, well, well, aren't you really saying that maybe that super volcano going off Mount Toba about 75,000 years ago, maybe put the advanced people into those giant underground rock cut ruins that, you know, Eric Von Danigan and Buzz Aldrin are going to in the sixties and seventies or whatever, or eighties. And the, d- does, does that look more like some people went under and protected themselves in a worldwide network of much more advanced constructions that are ancient, but underground uh, and there's other, you know, tribal and nomadic stories of stuff like that. And then you have the group on the above ground where all this genetic breeding and interloping is going on. Meanwhile, we have this, these, these, these indicators like Terra Preta mm-hmm. that are saying we were not nomadic. We were not nomadic in the time frame that you're saying. We are clearly, we're much more advanced and settled. And then, and then what we have mixed in is all these abandonments and primitive cultures taking over mm-hmm. or mimicking what they found and repairing it or managing it. And now we're all just super confused. And, and, and I think a big clearing of the air is going to be sedimentary nuclear uh, DNA testing, sedimentary nuclear DNA testing, where they can just take granules and suddenly in a small sample, you have hundreds of plants, flora, fauna, multiple species. Uh, um, What we're going to be able to do from grains of sand are really going to be a killer to paleoanthropologic, standard academic, uh, boring ass assessments of everyone was banging rocks 50,000 years ago. I I think it's going to look very, I think the sciences that are finally at least making the news that it's not like they invented nuclear DNA testing recently. This is something that's new in news, but they're literally not needing a whole bone anymore. They're, they're able to drill out, um, well, they're able to sift out of sand answers. And that's exciting because no matter what everyone wants the truth to be, it's going to be real hard to argue. You're going to have to ignore like, you know, in a pound of sand, you could have half the answers we've been wanting in the last decade or hundred years. You know, it, 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 it's really interesting that that's the direction it could go, but maintaining that there was just a bunch of, you know, 100, 200, you know, like the, uh, the book Sex at Dawn likes to talk about, uh, you know, the biggest human group that ever made sense was they had this uh, anthropological um, assessment study that said 120, 170 people that that could make a, a community. And then outside of that, it's just too big. So you had to like, they either moved on or they'd settle, but it society seems to collapse or not work if you have more than that, because then people are indifferent or they don't care or they don't know Bill on the other side of the sixth block or whatever. So there's, I think, um, yeah, a combo of knowing what we thought of history, uh, interfering with what we're finding in the actual ground and new sciences. And you would think that, um, people would want to be more open mm-hmm. to seeing new things, but sadly, uh, the people you would want to be more pragmatic are more pragmatic about not losing their own reputations, it seems, mm-hmm. which is sad. Now, thinking back to, you know, how I agree with you with stuff, the, the, the tech stuff passing on to people that don't know how to use it, you know, and they're just going through the motions using the stuff. That happens all the time with, with families, too. I mean, when you look at, like, your grandmother, your great-great-grandmother and all that and the stuff that they did, like like my grandmother in Mexico, you know, worked with herbs and all this stuff. None yeah. of us knew how to do it because there was no written record, you know, of her doing it, and she, and she never taught us how to do it. So that's a lost, as far as my family's concerned, that's a lost art. You're so right. Um, I'm going to out myself for my birthday in September, and 
my mom asked about what I wanted. I don't know why. Hit me. Hadn't had it in 20 years. I said, hey, can you make grandma's chocolate? She make this, she'd make this yellow cake, but she made this coffee icing. And it was just powdered sugar, butter, uh, Nestle Quick, uh, I, I think some vanilla. I don't know. It's really simple. But it occurred to me that I hadn't had it in years, and it's such a unique flavor and taste, and you literally add some teaspoons of Folgers or something, something super basic into it. And I asked her to make the cake, and then I looked at her, and I went, God, I love this cake. And I said, Mom, where's the recipe? And she goes, well, it's in my head. And I'm like, ah, you got to tell me before you stroke out. <laughs> I, She half laughed. And then gave me the general recipe of how she does it, but it's not written down. And then something more important like herbs and spices and like what would happen now, you certainly can go to the store and, you know, we, I'm guilty of botanicals, total weak point for me. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have a store putting Italian seasoning into a container, if you wanted to let me be the one going out and collecting dry weeds and and not actually put, you know, arsenic into the uh, shaker, don't, don't let me do it. Like how many poor primitives had to die before we were like, don't eat that leaf, eat that leaf. Right. Ooh, only eat that leaf in spring. And, and oh, and it, it does these six cures, but only in spring. Well, fall when it would kill Larry, but it won't kill Tom, but it will, it will help you with the cold. Like how many people had to like go through those kind of experiments for the amount of of traditional tribal, any kind of indigenous, how, how many people died? Nobody ever thinks about that. Like what? They just like, you know, put their lip on something. Oh, it's really bitter. Don't eat that. It's like, how do you, how did, how did we rediscover all this? Mm -hmm. You know, and in our instincts and in our minds, is it, is it partially collective human consciousness? Is it stored genetic memory? Is it um, focusing on something that, you know, collectively, you know, in the ether, there's a human consciousness that knows like, don't do this, do that. And for the person about to grab the wrong plant, it's, it's an instinct versus, uh, you know, a something that maybe somebody else would say, well, I have a guide or it, I was guided to do this, or I was guided to create this. Meanwhile, it's a, a stored shared, you know, tens of thousands or thousands of year old or hundreds of years old genetic memory. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different layers to the sciences that could be involved in how we did or didn't uh, crawl back out of some primordial, you know, uh, vortex of catastrophe. I sound like a downer today, but I'm not everyone. No, I'm, not. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, when, when you talk about these things, you know, you, you talk about the people that, that, that didn't, you know, the, the, the beings, people, whatever they were, that didn't have the skills to carry on after these other people left. That's what it is. It's a case of not passing it down to, you know, to, to others. It, it's, it's this one group of people that, 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 that have the knowledge, but they didn't keep records of what they were doing. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a problem with, um, uh, being in a society that, and, and I think this is something that we need to consider when we look at how did the builders that were building the truly large megalithic constructions with seismic, you know, with earthquake control built into the buildings, how do we account for how they could get so far blasted backwards? Well, if everything you do is only accessible through a flash drive, uh, what do we do when we've eliminated every hard copy book of anything? I mean, you can wipe out a whole civilization and if they had nothing written down and it was all on disposable electronic technology, oh my gosh, you know, you know, we're just assuming somebody's going to run. Uh, here's the other thing. We're assuming that what, you know, if everything went to crap on electronically, we're all going to, run back to the library and one, know how to use a physical library. And two, there's going to be a copy of Steinmetz work on, on electro, you know, thermal dynamic, uh, how, how the electric DCAC motor works. I mean, and we're going to just flip right to the how to pop up picture. Yeah. You know? uh, we're, we're so screwed if we were in an advanced ancient society and all of that went wayside and they had to then restart even the kilns or the, the, the blast furnaces to do metal, to, to even uh, mine, to, to get the raw material, to get to the, you know, the, the electronics again, it, it's just, it's phenomenal or, or it's, 
I don't know how you calculate it all to get back to that. If, you know, if we didn't have our phones, where would we even decide to meet? Yeah. yeah. It's like, how would we decide to get together? Like, I think you and I would be all right. It's like, well, call me on Thursday around nine o'clock. I don't think people get that. Yeah. I think there are people listening. I've never thought to say this on air. You have to understand that when we were young, for all of you out there that are anywhere under the age of 40, I would say 35-ish, you would tell someone, you tell your friends, I'll be home, I will call you tonight at 6. Mm-hmm. Because our house had one phone. Right. Other people could be on that phone. And you would have to tell people, my friend's going to call at 6. And you have to be there to answer the phone at that time, not 20 minutes later, you can't stop for extra food. You have to be somewhere. And it was something that I think has been lost now that I guess I didn't think about till now is that you, you know, as a teenager, you want to talk to your friends. And if you were going to do it on a phone, even if you got your own phone line and we were all into leaving cool voicemail messages on our recording machines and making it sound cute and cool and interesting, but there, at least I think probably we were, but uh, the reality is that you made time with friends and you had to hold that time. You you cannot, you just, you got to be there. And and we don't operate like that. And if the phones were gone, it's not like, I can't even, honestly, I can't think of a single place that there's a public pay phone that I could go to and use to call anyone. And I don't remember anyone's phone numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember phone numbers from when I was a kid. I remember, I, re, I still remember some friends' phone numbers from when I was a teen. But I couldn't tell you my mom's phone number. <laughs> I could tell you the recipe to the cake now. You can't tell, tell her phone number. Well, that's the thing. And it's like you're saying, if something happened to everything that we have right now, and we had to go back to where we're out hunting for our own food, how many people can honestly hunt down a bear or hunt down an elk and skin the thing and cook it? Super good point because I, I, I grew up in a very rednecky area my dad's from farming country my mom's from the city but i'll tell you right now my extended family they're all hunters i'm not a hunter am i clear that i need to disembowel an animal i am but have i done it no have i watched it done yes could i accidentally give us all some sort of horrible disease because i could skin the thing wrong absolutely i don't think people think about that like you you empty out the guts of one of those things you, you don't just hunt, you have to, you, if you don't disassemble the animal right, you are going to end up with poison meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think anybody thinks about that. No. They, they, they just think, well, I got to eat an animal. Yeah, well, it ain't that simple. You know, maybe for the one meal where you're throwing up, you know, in the movie, it's like you ate a little piece of meat and you made it till the helicopter came. In reality, you ate that raw piece of meat, got a bunch of parasites and viruses and bacteria and you threw up. And you just almost died of dehydration and peeing out of your butt. But but then the helicopter came. But that's not how it works. You know, you're just eating, I don't know, you're eating off the scales of a fish and you're apparently just fine. See, I, I used to go fishing. My brother-in-law took me fishing, taught me how to skin fish. Yeah, so me I too. went out to hunt rabbit and they said, oh my God, this is disgusting. We're going to have to gut this rabbit. And I went, it's like a big fish. Give it to me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, we ate, I, Minnesota you know, our license plate says 10,000 lakes, but there's 19,000 lakes, not to mention the Great Lake. Uh, and not only that, Malax Lake, which is 60 miles in diameter, it would cover the entire seven county metro area, which is half the Minnesota pipeline. Three and a half million people could be drowned just from Malax Lake alone, Malax Band of Ojibwe, Grand Casino, Malax Lake. And that's one lake. And we have 19,000, if you define them by hectare, 19,000 lakes in the start of the Mississippi River and the St. Croix. Minnesota's filled with water. And I grew up with people eating these nasty little sunfish that they're so putrid. They're so stinky. And I can tell you, everyone out there, that other than salmon a couple times of the year, I just cannot stand fish. Uh, I skinned. I mean, I'm a boy and I don't know, again, uh, instincts, memories, but I wanted to be in there with grandpa and my uncle and all the other great white hunters that they, they hunted duck, they did pheasant, they, they fished, um, a million different things. And I wanted to learn to skin fish. And I, I did do a lot of that. And 
what are we going to do with the people that only find fish at, you know, the grocery store? Right. Right. Like, even if they catch the fish, like to your point, do they really know how to kill it and skin it humanely, let alone skin it? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what they would do. And, exactly. and what, right. Well, I don't know if we're like worrying people into a tizzy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to starve. Yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm talking about. When, when you think about like, like America's Stonehenge and like you say, the people that were so high tech at that time, nothing was passed on. And then that, that, that it's the same issue as what we're talking about now. We, we lose all this stuff that we have and nothing's passed on to people to be able to survive. Well, and there are people who are, um, you know, you lose, as you lose technology, it's been a big theory of mine that, you know, maybe they put it into textiles. Why, why do we have a mandala that looks like, you know, the word Om? Mm-hmm. And well, there's a point where we're losing the technology and it gets, you know, written. And I think there are circuit boards and, and frequency energy technology that's been weaved right into patterns that we just think are traditional Chinese rugs or, or Indian or, you know, Persian and, the reality is a lot of these stylistic designs and and these frequencies or these cymatic symbols for ohm and and other frequencies well they were they were textiled in because it was the only way to remember mm-hmm. it's like well you know we're we're done with nuclear cold fusion right now and watches but you know make it into a dress and i don't think it i think it probably was a lot more primitive by the time that happened but you know it's pretty clear that the the symbolism is there and it, and and you really taken alone it's a coincidence but there are just too many examples of of that coming up where we're seeing these remnant more advanced technologies and simultaneously any of us listening to the show or right now just between us there's like so many examples of i'm pretty sure i could you know i could get through those animal skinnings and uh at the same time um I'd want to ask a couple of questions before sticking knives in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then but, when you think about this stuff, this, the, the, this ancient technology stuff too, I mean, we have some of the best scientific minds in the world and they still can't figure out how, how these ancient people did this stuff. No. Yeah. And it's, and, and the, and it's either they can't figure it out. I mean, that's giving a lot of credit where we're like, Hey, well, they're actually trying to, and it's like, no, right. they're not. They're trying to ignore the fact that it's an unanswered question and move on and keep talking about, oh, look, we found another, we found another tomb. We found, oh, look, another mummy, another mummy. Look at the mummy. Well, how about answering the giant Paracas skulls? Why doesn't the next paleoanthropologist and um, any biology uh, major want to look at testing the redheaded, elongated, naturally born Paracas skulls or any elongated skull that was not through a pressed, um, you know, pressurized boarded system where you have a naturally born elongated skulled human being why why aren't you doing that genetic testing why isn't that first on your list because well again another giant elephant in the room but it's a joke between way at Laco, um no one should have red headed hair or beards in south america yet you know again there's all these alien heads and nobody wants to nobody wants to get the answers it's 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 bizarre I'm just saying it. So for the one person who has the testing lab that can make this happen, uh, why don't you do it? I don't really want to know about one more subspecies of deer that lived in the Mesozoic versus Paleo whatever film. I don't care. Why, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you take the alien head and why don't you sort this out for us finally? It's, isn't, isn't that crazy? It's never been done. Right. Right. Do you think no, no, we're on the assumption that it's never been done. Do you think that maybe it has and they're trying to hide it from, from everybody because it'll turn everything on its ear? Welcome back to California Conspiracy Radio, where we bring you truth <laughs> smack you right in the face. Not with a small stick, not with the rule of thumb, but with a baseball bat, with a hammer. As a, mm, Yeah, D- is it 100%? If we were going to argue anything about, I think that's at every layer of the government, one of the best things about talking with Jim Goodall this last week mm-hmm. is looking at how departmentalized contractors are if they're working on a specific project. You know, whether it's at Area 51 or uh, wherever, that you have you have a contractor working on a specific project, 
and they they might be you know even within the same company you might have two people to ensure security where you know there, there's always an assumption of infiltration from a foreign power of you know wherever that is from around the world so sometimes you can even create some security within a single company like uh lockheed like skunk works or phantom with boeing and mm -hmm. jim's description was well what you end up doing is uh you'll have contract you, you know you'll have two people and literally on either side of a kiosk or a cube even one one person's working on part a and the other person's working on the complementary part b but they don't they're not aware of each other's work and it helps create another layer of security mm -hmm. but at what point do you need to explain to any contractor anyone working on something when you say oh this is alien technology or this is alien you don't why would you ever need to tell them that well actually you know those Klerksdorp spheres that are literally over a you know two to three billion years old that we found in South Africa that look like ancient golf balls. Yeah. Um, well, we also found this uh, non-earthly metal orb that seems to float and kill people if you touch it the wrong direction. You know, don't make sure you rub it. You know, you know, it's 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 zero. Uh, you don't have to tell anyone that the technology you're finding or working with is actually ancient human technology. You don't need to say that. And if the United States government, for any reason, when they did come out, whatever it was, a couple of years ago now and said, well, you know, there's a lot of craft flying around. We don't know who they are and we don't know where they're from. Well, okay. Is that is that true? Or is that, I mean, what, what kind of smoke screen is that? Don't know. But again, you guys have been working with ancient technology or you've been working with someone's technology where, again, there's no need to disclose to contractor A or contractor B or the media or us or any higher level politician that's only in office for four years. You don't have to disclose it to anyone beyond a certain circle that says, well, this is alien or this is not. And even if it is alien, again, there's no obligation to say, well, actually, you know, there's very ancient advanced ruins on this planet and those those people flying around, they really are ancient humans. And well, we have some of their technology and they couldn't get it back without exposing themselves or whatever, but they didn't. And so we have it, we've been developing it and you're welcome for microwaves and CDs and everything that men in black joke about. And the reality is that we, we don't know because we're, we're not in, we're not in that group, but the assumption is that we haven't left the planet before. So what do we do with an ancient advanced human society that left the planet, mm -hmm. maybe harvested? Uh, and again, we're learning this with material sciences. We're learning that we can take atoms. You know, we, we, were, we, we made a map of the world out of hydrogen atoms in 2008. So it's been, that was 14 years ago that we took atoms and spintronics, the study of quantum computing, the, the theoretical electron is spun and that creates a setting that's more than one or zero or negative or positive or on and off. And so the whole idea of grabbing atoms and building metals or technologies that would not be of in quotes, earthly origin, easy peasy, because you have a society that has moved past gene crispers, custom designer babies where you're picking hair color and a propensity for a uh, piano, but you're actually programming a fully conscious human society that was possibly working with material sciences that included going, well, give me 19 hydrogen atoms and a couple of these new ones over here, and we're going to make this new metal and it has these magnetic properties. So you're, you're, you're literally describing a prior advanced race when we're uh, uh, technologies where these F-22s, like the Tic Tac videos where it's like, uh, you know, they're weapons tracking a UFO that does 90 degree turns and flies off their weapon screen at Mach 22 from what they could tell. Mm -hmm. At least that's as fast as the camera caught it. Right. And that, that really brings us to, are they really from somewhere else? Or are we dealing with, again, ancient humans that picked their technology back up, kind of felt bad about a whole bunch of people being left out of the bunker and being bred into the stupid state that we are. Oh, that was negative. That was negative. <laughs> Should not have gone there. No, 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 no. Yeah, you know, I, I like people. You know, all I could think of is idiocracy right now. I mean, I think we're in a different plane. I like money. Just, just haven't seen that in a while. Have you? 
Uh-oh. Nope. Uh, I didn't see that. Nope. Man, I was going to ask you about the Tic Tac videos and what you thought. Well, one, for a small little tri- bit of trivia, the f- the colonel who was the fighter pilot that caught that, he lives mm-hmm. across from America's Stonehenge. Oh, that's crazy. How's that for small world? Wow. So, yeah, like across the valley, you can see a radio tower, and Dennis is like, that's where the colonel lives. <laughs> I'm like, so cool. Do you think that these people with the ancient technology um, – we're able to go off Earth. Well, yeah, I I think we may have already left the planet, and or like one of my fast. I love the different ways that we apply. Uh, I said flash drives earlier and and hard hard drive or like you know solid tech. We can grow bricks. Uh, one of my favorite articles was from Science Daily, and they were quoting a paper that figured out how to grow bricks from bacteria, and you could tell the bricks, you could tell the bacteria how you wanted them to grow and in what kind of pattern. And so basically how far away are we from growing a synthetic based organism and, or a brick mm-hmm. that would self uh, energize through solar and movement where you basically create a solid state satellite that could be hurled on various orbits further and further from earth where they're communicating maybe with Earth satellites, where we have a Hubble, you know, everyone knows that there's a new replacement to the Hubble telescope and SpaceX just recently said they're going to help put the Hubble back on track for orbit, which is cool. But a lot of people don't know that, well, there's a better version of the Hubble, but they know the Hubble takes pictures of things in space. But I was ignorant to the fact that really, really deep, uh, radio telescopes literally come back with a radio signal. I don't think people understand fully that we don't know what the rest of the universe looks like. Cause we took a photo of it. Mm-hmm. We took a radio photo of it and then built an artistic image off of frequency signals, basically. So the deep, deep, deep far space stuff wasn't done. Um, the Hubble could only reach so far and that's taking an actualized photo the, the, and, and so if I was an ancient society and I developed super great lenses, uh, but I also wanted to get further and further away from the planet and really see what's out there, I would use maybe this kind of self-replicating uh, synthetic or uh, natural you know, brick building technology where I could have a self-replicating, self-repairing satellite flung into further and further orbits and ellipticals where they could uh link with each other and mm-hmm. so we could have a further and further imaging effect so i always find it i fully suspect one of these days we're going to get a signal back to this planet where they keep saying oh we had an intelligent signal i think we get plenty of intelligent signals that are from ancient earth technologies like looking for their like landing spot like hey uh, uh anybody here to i just i saw 18 million things this week do you anybody want to download i'm like i'm full I mean, there could be simple signals like hard drives full. Do you want to like, should I dump this? Do I keep it? They've been on wait for like, um, you know, 100,000, 10,000 years or whatever, 15, 20. You know, I do, I do think the Mount Toba explosion is kind of a D mark. I do think that there's something to be said about, you know, the antiquity of the Sphinx, the antiquity of uh, these large megalithic blocks. And when the more maybe advanced ruined survivors may have like, initially participated in a rebuild after either a natural or a natural and a warlike catastrophe. But why would they have not sent out satellites? Why would they have not gone out and explored or even settled? According to the Vermanas, if we've been around for millions of years, why would we have not in these craft that they're describing already have left done, you know, like, well, well, I can't think of anything more exciting possibly than uh, space, you know, archaeology. Like the idea that there are ruins on moons of Mars or on the moon itself or in the moon, that there is actual ruins of, of technology that we would be able to explore or, you know, like what you brought up earlier, are they already experimenting on it? Did they already take the blood out of the Paracas and they know perfect. And that's the point is that these secret programs really went into overdrive during world war one. I, I think world war one, world war two was a big jump. I think we hit the industrial revolution but when the war happened, I think they accidentally came across things that they didn't know were going to be a threat. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think that maybe helped propel some of the interest. But I don't know who in the world outside of giant, large, hint religious organizations would have known or kept data of Vatican Library or that would actually know that the history we've taught humanity is not close to that reality. And, and meanwhile, I think those ancient ruin bases, settlements, technologies, including satellite technologies are floating by us. Like when everybody went nuts over that cigar shaped um, satellite that orbits in that huge elliptical orbit. And, and, you know, one of those professors was willing to come out and say, I don't think this is natural. And it's like, well, why, why wouldn't it, why would it not, if it wasn't, then what, what government organization or what secret uh, government program is tracking or dealing with that genre? You know, are they, have they, is there some small group that has departmentalized this down to like, they don't even know, like two different groups are watching a satellite and they think there's only one. So they, do they have like 1000 teams to each think that they're only watching one off satellite? So each team really thinks, well, if there was more, I'd, I'd say that we were like being lied to, but there's only one. You know what I mean? Like if you separate, you know, if there's a thousand advanced ancient satellites and you just put, you know, five people on each one to track it and they think, oh yeah, this is the only thing we ever found. If that's their history, if that's what they're told, like we found this and don't ever tell anyone we'll murder your family or whatever. It's top secret or above top secret. Well, well, well then it's not like they're going to have a convention and get together and go, well, actually there's a thousand of these we're aware of. Eric Von Danigan talked to me personally about, uh, he said, and I really wish I would have asked him what his resource was on this, but at the time he told me that there's at least, everyone was kind of up in our, do you remember the Black Knight satellite? Yes. Yeah, so Eric, I asked him directly about that uh, after a, a private little thing. Uh, and I had, and I got to stand and talk with him for a while. And I it was great because he, he's so kind and and just, it was great. He didn't need to give me the time that he did. And it was really wonderful. But one of the things I asked was about the black Knight. And he goes, there's Jared. He goes, there's at least six other satellites in orbit around this planet that are, that are either alien or uh, ancient. They're ancient satellites. And it's not just the black Knight. He said, there's at least six. And he goes, I think there's 12 or tw- 13, whatever. The number was higher, but he said, for sure. He said, there's six like the black Knight." I think that's pretty fascinating. For people that don't know what the Black Knight is, can you explain it for them? Yeah, so for all of you uh, fast internet researchers, you might immediately come up on the fact that it is a space blanket. Uh, That's one of the excuses, is that it's a blanket from the space shuttle. Uh, For those of you who want to go right into wishful thinking, um, the estimates on its age, one, it's huge, it's not small, it, it's uh, according to Olaf Phillips, the UFO, the UFO guy slash my old publisher. I, you know, he, he thinks it's a, a spent weapon system that it may be a delivered payloads to the earth, part of an ancient, uh, you know, weapons grid. Mm-hmm. But the Black Knight is a very, very large object that is uh, the estimates are based. Uh, it's going pole to pole. So most satellites follow the equator. Uh, this thing is defined. It's defying the way that we have technology and satellites to begin with, because it's going pole to pole and it's much, much higher than any other satellite that we have. And it seems to have a signal and it's uh, at least they are saying 18, 19,000 years old, uh, which would put it pre younger driest, which would still put it in that post Mount Toba, but maybe it was pre Mount Toba, apocalyptic advanced Hindu Veda kind of pointed out society, but it's a satellite that when you die, you know, when you die, dive into the internet, you're either going to find out it's a space blanket right away, or that's the disinformation, or you're going to find out that uh, it's a combination of a couple different uh, urban myths mm-hmm. and, and, or you're going to find some hardcore believers of what it is. And then, uh, the the issue then is is to come up with any kind of hard government FOIA possibly uh, anything that we anybody could find on the discovery of the Black Knight 
would be very helpful. So for those that want to go down this road, it is quite an interesting open mystery. And I don't think I'm, I'm saying it this way because I don't want anyone to write it off to the urban myths, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the black Knight, there seems to be some uh, elements of truth in it. As usual, screenshot anything you find that's decent because I swear the internet gets washed and wiped and changed faster than you can uh, go back. I learned that lesson heavily with Gobekli Tepe when they would constantly, they had references to organic matter being tested to 24 to 36,000 years. And then that data just disappeared. They just stopped talking about it. And then everybody was talking about how Gobekli is at least 11 or 12,000 years old. It's like you guys started by saying it was 18, 26,000 years old. And you said it for months and months and months. And I'm writing my book. And the next thing I know, the internet changed and that you can't find those references. And now, uh, that, that is my lesson taken from all that uh, screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. But You made a good, interesting point earlier about the landing sites. You know, when you think about a lot of the majority of the sightings of these crafts, it's always over like Brazil or someplace yeah. where there's, there's a lot of jungle. And I think the reason for that is like, like you made a point about the landing sites, right? Yeah. Everything's covered over here. All the cities that covered everything. So maybe that's why people see more out in these more, you know, those rural areas out there because that's that's where they go. Yep. I I do find there is this mix of military and UFO actual legit not you not uh I guess pure uh, whatever country clandestine military projects versus outside of it UFO we don't care if you can't catch us, you can't keep up with us. You guys are just things we study for anthropology. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're, they're, there is that group of UFOs. And I think frequently the stuff we see, um, I, I, it's, I hate to say it, but I think a lot more recently we're seeing more and more of our own government's uh, special projects. Sure. And which is cool. I think it's cool. And I'm all about us. Like I, I would trust that they're doing work to protect us. Yeah. <laughs> I hope uh, I'm all for it. But then some of these ones that are disappearing at Lake Titicaca and out into the ocean and plunging or disappearing and the legit sightings over the years from the 1800s on of the legit multi-person human being sightings of large tic-tac type um ufos it really makes you wonder um what 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 it makes me you know one of the things that comes to my mind and i know i'm volunteering this right now but uh but kind of in the spirit of the subject if these tic-tacs if some of them were you know like they're saying football multiple football fields wide and long some of these large ones like michigan uh, UFO sightings is you know witnessed in person. Um, I wonder if whatever disaster or problem that happened that they didn't want to rebuild this giant, I think broken, you know, safe moded computer that we're on this giant biotech integrated, like with us and the system was one thing once. I wonder if it's because they just assume we're going to get hit again so they just decided, you know, we retreated to these spaceship living fortresses and we're just not going to go back, but we don't want to leave. And this is still our home, but they don't really seem to help us. And we still get cancer and we're dying. So like, why are they hating on us? Is it because we were once the, the, the bad guys, you know, was it like one of those, like the slave race overflew the overthrew the overseers and, and this is eternal punishment that we get to live down here, you know, while they live in giant Tic Tacs. And, and uh, I'm just saying there's, there's a lot of wild play. There just doesn't clearly, if you could, if you're only 10 to 15% conscious, I think you're going to have a difficult comprehension of wait, how long have we been around and how much have we messed all this up? Mm-hmm. That's I think the first and foremost, but I don't, I don't have the, I, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can discover answers and we can work on things. I don't think this is just us tossing stuff around in the wind. I mean, we can chase down like the GE Kincaid cave. Um, let's chase it down. Let's see if it's real. Uh, what's with this Terra Preta? You know, there's 
biochar is being used in modern stuff, but it's like, why don't we re, why don't we get a good map and go, well, look, here's the world. And these places were not nomadic. There's, and then underwater, you know, they're Doggerland in Europe between Scotland and France, you know, Doggerland was still above water even six, 8,000 years ago in that range. There was a significant portion of it, even 6,000 years ago. And they are now doing sedimentary nuclear DNA testing of sedimentary, uh, remnants of flora and fauna of Doggerland from 12, 18,000 years ago. And, and with that kind of help, it's like, are we going to find that Terra Preta, uh, engineered soils, uh, piezoelectric properties, polygonal buildings, that there really is a connection, you know, globally in areas that we thought were just nomadic, redefining our, our abandonment civilization scenario and, and really, helping us re-engineer uh, not just things that can help us today, but also stop maybe a significant portion of the human population that kills each other based on uh, spiritual beliefs. They could calm down a little bit and realize everyone's a little bit right and everyone's a little bit wrong and that the truth in the middle is probably going to piss us all off more than make us happy. Right. Personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, I want to know, but then I'm going to be like so pissed off for a little bit. What can we do, right? Right. It, it is what it is, and that's just how... Let them eat cake. Yeah. There's always, there's always changes. I mean, look at look back at your food, right? First, something causes cholesterol. Now it doesn't cause cholesterol, you know, after it, everybody's backed off eating it. I mean, that's what that's what this whole history thing is about, too. There's so much, you know, changing that they're finding, that they're finding out, you know, and then the, then, then you got the diehard scientists that don't want to look at the stuff, you know, when you oh. get back yourself with the more open mind to look at the stuff and it's just it's just crazy well it, and it's not like it, it, having an opinion is one thing not looking having an ostrich plan to looking at facts just pisses me off to no end you'd rather just not well i've been teaching at this i have heard story after story well i feel stupid i taught this way for 30 years 40 years 50 years i don't want to i know it's wrong but i don't want to change because well i'd be wrong yeah you were wrong stop perpetuating ignorance you know don't i trust i always trusted i was naively thought that uh science was not a religion turns out it is right which sucks right but Jared, it's always a blast yeah. to have you on hey with um we didn't even get to anything i think paranormal and and the uh well, you know the other part of the other side of this about stuff yeah we got <laughs> i think that whole side of it is echoing remnants of the same stuff and i think that it's as important to talk about you know there's a there there's an entire encompassing relational uh space that you know the paranormal and those projections and those poltergeists and i think all of it ties into this you know system that we've deified that mm -hmm. you know it's it's so fascinating but i gotta you know, I should have, I should have gotten your, I should have gotten your, instead of UFO, I should have been getting your uh, haunts. I mean, we're going, I mean, I was just in Salem. I was just in uh, Mass. By the way, I was in Salem, Massachusetts. I mean, I did walk around Witchtown here. Right. I mean, I was, I was, I was downtown for two days. So it's not like I wasn't just in Salem, New Hampshire, just so you know. So I was in, I was in the center of, uh, I would say California haunts, like, you know, topic uh, Uno One, right? Just, there you go. Well, you know what that means. We're just going to have to get together again. Yep. So th thanks again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And we'll get you back on to talk about ghosties and stuff. How's that? Yeah, we got to catch up. Okay. I mean, for everyone listening, it's been a while. We've been, I mean, I can't fathom how busy you've been. Oh, God, I'm so busy. I did. This is my second show today. Oh. I did a show at noon. Uh, who's second. on at noon? I, a gentleman over from the UK uh, had a lot of UFO experiences. And so All right. Today. So it's like, yeah, this is my second gig today. So Super fun. Yeah. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. You're growing too. You have a show too, don't you? Uh, tonight, I am just getting ready. I'm, like I said, prepping on some documentary stuff. Uh, not Aliens. NotAliens.com. My show, actually, Jim Goodall and I will be starting Thursday night. Uh, Jim and I will be doing a show. So for those that want to talk uh, 
Area 51 UFO and you know secret programs. Jim and I will be talking. I will post. Um, I'll do a preliminary for that show. That'll um, I'll set that up tomorrow, but that'll be for Thursday night around. Uh, oh boy, I think we're going to be doing. I'm trying to do my math here because you're on the coast. We're going to be doing, uh, I believe, seven or eight Central, so six or seven p.m. Pacific. That'll be Thursday. What was that? Jim Goodall was a good guy. Oh, he's phenomenal. I like I said, we spent three days filming, and yeah, he's a he's a riot, and brilliant, and funny. He is. He is. All right, Jared. Well, I'm gonna let you get back to whatever you got to get back to, and I gotta get this podcast put out the put out in the world. And uh, great speaking with you. And let's set up a day to meet again and talk about ghosties and stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, well, talk to you soon then. All right, Jared. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, guys. He's always fun to have on, always fun to talk to. Jared's been on this about his third or fourth time on the show, and looks like we're going to have a fifth time. Excited about that. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears a little bit. We're going to be talking. In fact, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Jerry Cantor is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about natural remedies and homeopathic stuff. So he's going to be with us tomorrow to help us out with whatever ails us. How's that sound? You like that idea? Okay, I like the idea. Anyway, uh, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're trying to get the word out no matter what, even with people that hate it, that, that, that you hate. I'm good with that. Again, if you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, be sure to hit that follow button. If you're if, if you heard about us from Instagram, uh, please be sure to Follow me on Instagram, Gal. And again, if you're over on YouTube watching this, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and uh, you'll have access to every time we decide to do a video, right? Okay. Anyway, I want to thank you all. It's been a long day for me and uh, I'm ready to close it up for the day. So I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And be sure to visit Jared's website at notaliens.com. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day. <laughs>